Hi, I'm John Campbell, John, and you're listening to Talking Blues. I am sitting here with John Campbell, John, from Nova Scotia, sly guitar player, singer, songwriter. Um, I haven't seen you in years. Yeah, it's been a while. So how are you? I'm great, Marco. I want to ask you about your life in music. Tell me, where did you grow up? Uh, I was born and raised in uh, Cape Breton Island, Nova Scotia. I was born in Sydney. So for those who don't know, Cape Breton Island is one of the most beautiful parts of Canada on the eastern side of the country. Tell me about growing up in Cape Breton Island. What was that experience like? Uh, well, it was just home. Uh, Sydney at the time was about population of about 30,000. Steel town, my mm -hmm. dad, and much, if not most, of my family worked at the steel plant. And um, Was that a possibility for you? <laughs> well, I put in a, f a few weeks at the steel plant when I was a kid. Uh, it was certainly a possibility, uh, but it closed down. Like, you know, the steel industry changed, and it, it uh, went away. And uh, so fast forward super fast to Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. I got married and settled in the Halifax, Dartmouth area in 1990. Did, did music come in early in your life? Uh, pretty much. Uh, I... Uh, I was overcome by the Beatles phenomena when I was a kid. I saw them on Beatles the Beatles Cape Breton. No, <laughs> yeah, uh, there, there's a, a as many people know, there's a, a very strong Celtic uh, Scottish fiddle uh, culture, mm -hmm. music culture, and uh, it's really quite fantastic. But from when I was from early age, uh, I guess I took the Celtic thing a little bit for granted. It was it was all around me growing up in Cape Breton Island. Right. And I didn't really go that route. And uh, there was a Woco department store in my neighborhood in Sydney River. And uh, they had Beatles records and B.B. King records. And I kind of discovered B.B. King just at Woco, I guess. I really don't know where I first heard B.B. King. Probably on TV, because he was certainly the most famous and well-known of all blues artists. Uh, and so I bought, uh, you know... A, Probably my mom and dad bought me a B.B. King record when I was a kid, and it kind of started from there. And so, uh, but the Beatles, I would say, stirred up a, quite a passion for music that uh, it's been with me for most of my life. Did you ever play the Beatles? Oh, I've played Beatles songs through the years off and on, okay. badly. <laughs> my ba badly played Beatles uh, collection. Okay, and you're also known, I would think, if I'm not mistaken, as a slide player. Like that's yeah. how I know you. Yeah, that, that's pretty much my thing. Yeah, I, I uh, uh, when I again when I was a teenager, I heard Dwayne Allen playing uh, Statesboro Blues uh, on that on that live uh, at the Fillmore mm -hmm. album, and uh, I had no idea what what was going on, how he could make a guitar sound like that, but it really gave me goosebumps, and so. Um, I found out eventually about open tunings and playing with your fingers, which kind of led to finger style. And so I owe it all to the great Dwayne Allman, who also inspired me to go back and learn uh, where that all came from with the original Delta players and Chicago players. And so that was quite inspiring. And 
hun- uh, hundreds and hundreds of dollars later, here I am. <laughs> <laughs> so when you heard Dwayne, did you automatically think, I'm going to learn how to play the slide? I think when I interviewed Sonny Landreth, he, he talked about Dwayne's influence on him and um, actually seeing Dwayne perform and how what wow. an impact that made on him. Well, Sonny Landreth himself it yes. was another huge inspiration to me with his technique, with the behind-the-slide technique for for musicians who uh, may wonder that this simply fretting behind the slide. So, is that when you when you is that something that you can watch and go, oh, that's how you do it, or do you hear that when you when you first discovered that Sonny did this? Uh, I, I I kind of at the same time read about him and heard him and sort of understood the concept and then I began to play like that and just like Dwayne Allen uh, Sonny Landreth was a big influence on me to the point where I just had to stop listening to him because I was worried about becoming just a sort of a clone you know what I think he might have said that about Dwayne like he, <laughs> yeah. I think that's what he said I well guess. he uh, you know rock blues players when they played play slide guitar with their fingers I mean they aspire they want to sound like Dwayne mm-hmm. and uh and if you enjoy playing behind the slide, you want to sound like Sonny Landreth. And you had the opportunity to interview him. Yeah. I'm jealous. Oh, I've never met him. I've seen him perform. He's a great guy. Like he's... Anyway, yeah, I've heard yeah, he's quite, really a, nice quite a nice fellow. Yeah. And who's, who's really dedicated to his, his art. You know, as I presume you would be. So you discovered this. And then was that like where you totally focused in on being the slide guitar player? Uh, th- there's a point in the 90s where uh, um, a couple of friends who actually they were brothers uh, that inspired me in, uh, to sort of focus on more slide guitar than anything else. Uh, and in the, in the uh, through the 90s, Stevie Ray Vaughan mm-hmm. was a, a, an amazing, and still is, a captivating, amazing artist, guitar mm-hmm. player. And so... Consequently, everybody and their grandmother uh, wanted to play like Stevie Ray Vaughan. That's event, you know, very much the path that a lot of young, up-and-coming, young, uh, yeah. aspiring blues guitar players want to. So I was a little bit conscious of that, and inspired and influenced by Stevie Ray Vaughan, who was uh, certainly unique, but also an, an amazing interpreter of of, uh, of uh, Albert King and Jimi Hendrix, and it was just great. Uh, uh, but my passion was slide guitar, so I kind of said to myself, you know, if I really want to continue to make a living at this, I'm just going to focus on the slide thing because and, and, I love it so much. And that, that was around 98 or something. And, and uh, that had sort of, it sort of changed my writing because I, I, I now use exclusively open tunings. I pick up a standard tune guitar sometimes and wonder, uh, wonder why I can't play it anymore because it's been, you know, it's been so long. And uh, so that's that's the path I took. So you decided. So you're living now in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia, which is right next to Halifax, mm-hmm. and also another place that has a very strong musical scene. I presume. How are you fitting into that scene, and and what's it like for you to start off and play in Halifax and Dartmouth? Uh, well, there's a couple of really nice venues that I play at occasionally, you know, 1.5 times a year, right. sort of. Uh, 
but for me, making a living, uh, for in, any musician or artist that needs to make a living or prefers to make a living doing, doing their art, especially music, you have to tour. And so I just go where the, where the opportunities are. And, uh, you know, I'll play in your bathtub, you know, preferably alone. <laughs> You know, if not uh, with your drummer, <laughs> and it'll be tough getting the drummer and that Neil in there. But you know, there's uh, there's festivals all over Canada and Europe and the U.S. and you look for opportunities and hope that you get chosen and hired to play some of these festivals and you know events. But uh, the and certainly the, as most people are aware of the, you don't have to be in the music business, but the bar scene has changed mm -hmm. so drastically in recent years. Uh, not to sound uh, bitter, but uh, uh, DJ music has really taken taken over. People generally like to go. It's not just that. Uh, pe people generally like to go later and later at night, and so the revenues are, are are down. So it's difficult to pay live. So it's completely changed. And so personally, for me, I I look for special events and festivals. And thankfully, there's some fantastic festivals out there that. That I get to play at. So, I mean, the other thing is, you have a pretty big following in Germany, if I'm not mistaken, or I presume other parts of Europe as well. Well, I don't know if I'd say a big, pretty big following. <laughs> there's uh, there's about 400 million people there, you know. Okay, uh, but you, on a regular basis, tour Europe. Yeah, mostly Germany. I, I, I was lucky enough to get signed to a label over there in, in uh, the turn of the century. Uh, 99 actually I think it was and I've been going over there pretty much every year since so is it based on the fact that you got like I'm not sure which came first you you had a following or you made some sort of connection in Germany therefore you got signed to a German label or you got... uh, no I uh, I had a new uh, record out just totally independent made myself uh, in, in a local studio in Halifax in 1998 and uh, I remember I heard uh, an Albert Collins live in Europe record. Mm -hmm. As it turned out, I think I believe it was live in in Sweden. And when I lived in Toronto here in the seventies, actually, and I and it kind of stuck with me. And I always thought, wow, it'd just be so cool to go to Europe and tour there, perform there. And so when it came time to release independently my new CD in '98, I, I tracked down a, a handful of labels that I thought might be appropriate to to pitch to. And uh, there were three of them, and uh, and I remember I got an email, and and I saw who it was from. I I sent a package over. I got contacted three of them. I said, sure, send your package over. And uh, I didn't. Two of them I never heard from again. One of them I saw an email come in, and I thought, hey, all right, my first internet record company rejection letter, email rejection letter, because I have a drawer full of those from doing <laughs> demos for so many years, you know. And uh, I opened up the email, and they said, uh, hello, John, thank you for submitting your music. And I thought, yep, I heard that one before, of course. We listened to it, and we enjoyed it. And I said, yep, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and uh, anyway, at the bottom, they said, we're prepared to make you a proposal. And I, I almost died. And I, I remember my wife was out in the court in front of the house, and I ran to the door and said, come in, come in here, come in, look at this. <laughs> And uh, so I just got lucky, and they it's, that the album I had at the time seemed bright for what, what they were looking for. Uh, but that just meant that 
I had an opportunity to get my record released over there, which was very exciting. Right, for sure. And uh, so uh, uh, the next day, the phone rang, and uh, a lady uh, uh, in Halifax who works, works with a, a lot of art recording artists, an up-and-coming and established artist, gave me a call, said she had a meeting. She met this German guy who's going to give me a call. He's looking for artists to take over to Europe because he's from Germany. So this is the very next day? This is, I swear, it's the next day. It, it, uh, and so uh, we got together, and he started booking dates for me, then hooked me up with an agent, and I just started touring. So it had nothing to do with record deal? Well, the, 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 the album, I'm proud to say, got me the, the uh, record deal. Right. But it doesn't mean you're, you're going to jump on a plane the next day and go tour over there. Yeah, you yeah. Need, it's a different uh, department in the business. You know, not even, not, not even, it's a different business yeah, within the music sure. business. And uh, so it was just, my friend, a good friend, a good guitar player, a friend of mine, said, uh, John, do you know what synchronicity means? And I said, of course I do. It's a song by the police. <laughs> and he said, no, you idiot. <laughs> and he explained to me that, you know, a real positive, cool things happening at once for, for, the, for the greater good oh, for or sure. something like that. So I listened to him describe that to me for 10 minutes, and I said, yeah, right, right. That's it. Yeah, it's like uh, that's fine, that's fine, but really, it's just a song by the police. <laughs> and so, uh, so you know, I go over there on about a month. I do a one month tour per year, and uh, that's pretty good. I mean, that's like almost seventeen years, eighteen years that you've been doing this, right? I guess so. Yeah. And uh, the first label I was on, they were great people, but they were a small independent label, and then they had a tough time, and one branch. Uh, that I was in, went out of business, and I thought, oh, God, here I am. I'm into this four or five years, and right. it's been so exciting. Now what do I do? And I just got real lucky, and this other label came along and offered me. Uh, they were at actually at the East Coast Music Awards, and uh, I won for Blues Album of the Year. Which year was this? Uh, I think it was 2006. Okay. 2006, and... Uh, and so one thing led to another, and, and I got on with uh, the ZYX label. ZYX Music, they're called on, uh, and the, the label that handles the jazz and blues is called Pepper Cake Records. And I've been with them ever since. So just, I've been just lucky, you know. So a couple of things that I want to just go back to. One is, I didn't know you lived in Toronto. How long did you live in Toronto, and why did oh, you live in Toronto? I lived in Toronto for... Uh, not even two years, just short of two years in the, in the late seventies, or because of something else. I, uh, I, I uh, was involved with a lady who, who was moving in Toronto. It's kind of a complicated story, but I was, but I, I wanted to go to the, you know, to the record company capital of Canada, right. and uh, so, so for those two reasons, uh, I went there and. And what was that like? Oddly that? enough, no one came pounding at my door wanting to offer me a record deal. And <laughs> but living in Toronto, what was that like in terms of being a musician and coming into this city and trying to get into the music scene, or was that even possible? Oh, that was very difficult, but it was really exciting because there were so many uh, blues artists that came through and so many artists from the Ontario, Toronto area that were so good that I got to see and hang out with some of them and, and so that was a fantastic experience but I was completely unknown I was I was a guitar player in another band mm -hmm. and uh, you know I like to write songs but completely unknown and very naive about the business I think I was uh, in my early 20s and in the uh, in the 
late 70s. So one of the things that I, and this might be not a fair observation, but I just get the feeling that people from the East Coast have a real attachment to the East Coast. And some of the people I know who've come from the East Coast, I get the feeling that their plan is always to go back to the East Coast. Well, lo- a- lobster is cheaper right out of the water. It's a little more expensive. But is that how you felt? Like, I mean, why did you wind up going back? Oh, at that time, I was discouraged. I didn't really know much about the business of the music business. And uh, so I went home and started a band at home right. where I'd be more secure. My family supported me. I got to live at home. No stress of doing music for a living and, uh, you know, paying rent and all right. that kind of thing. And so I kind of started over again. But at that point, you're thinking, I'm going to make my living being a musician. Oh, I was long past that point. The ship had sailed on me doing it for a living. And uh, th- there was no turning back from that, no. So did you ever doubt that? I'm sorry? Did you ever doubt the path you've chosen? Or was it ever... You mean question? today or... <laughs> In, in your lifetime, I mean, when you when that ship sailed and you were on it and you're going down this road to becoming a musician, did you ever think I should do I should do something else or? Well, you know, you have those fleeting thoughts, but I was so driven and so well, I should say passionate. I just wanted to do it so bad that uh, you know, uh, I just kept moving forward as best I could. And uh, again, family were there to help me. Uh, uh, you know. Uh, I had support. My mom and dad, you know, kind of shook their head and, you know, is he really going to do this? But they didn't try to interfere. Uh, they supported me. And, they, you know, they just said, watch out. Just give it your best. And kind of, I don't know if I heard the expression, follow your heart back then. But these days, it's more like follow your heart and, and bring your brain. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you go back, decide to start a band, you're going to go down this path. You said you didn't know much about the music business. So what's the thing that you learned about the music business then that's kind of helped you to be who you are today? Don't buy a truck and a great big PA and 50 lights that you end up working for that instead of uh, making records. So that was a lesson that I learned for years. Right. Uh, and it was only in uh, it was only in the early '90s uh, uh, that uh, I began to focus on on more on making the well. I was writing personally. I was writing original songs all through the '80s, but uh, we were in a situation where if we wanted to tour, we were forced to do more and more cover songs. I mean, that was fun, but not really the focus that I had at the very beginning. And so it took a while to get out of that. Uh, off of that sort of route that I was on and uh, married a fantastic gal and settled down in Dartmouth and got married. And uh, you think I would have smartened up then and got a real job, but no. Uh, so then I began to think more seriously about actually making a record and I made my first album and then it wasn't until uh, four or five years later that I made that independent record that, uh, that kind of helped me to get over expand my market over into Europe and that kind of thing. So, obviously you tour Europe, Germany especially, every year. Is it hard to now expand from Germany to other areas? Like, or, like, I don't know how... I know you spend a month there and you seem to do it every year and you seem to have a following. Is it easy to now go to France, Belgium, 
to other territories? Or well, uh, a record company, um, in my view, a record company, it's only business. They, they'll help you to establish a brand. Right. You know, and, and you know, on the business end of it, uh, music is your product, and they help get your product to market and develop your brand and encourage people to buy your product. And so with a label uh, doing uh, you know, a bit of promotion, um, that's how I'm able to get in the markets that I'm in. And of course, I've been doing it for years, so I've got a little bit of a name in the, in the, in the European, uh, Western Europe area. It sounds like I think I'm a, a household name. I'm far from that. No, but you do. But in blue circles, year. it's, it's uh, having been gone there so much, they know me. Yeah. Because uh, a lot of people go there and they never come back. Unless <laughs> yeah. I know they go there, but they never go get to go back again or whatever. Like you've done this for sixteen years or whatever, so obviously you have a following. Well, well I had Factor support in the first couple of tours. That German gentleman Leonard, uh, mm-hmm. who I first met, part of the uh, synchronicity thing. Uh, he uh, he's very sharp with business, and and uh, I got Factor support. But then uh, I think on the third tour, it was like I was doing it on my own steam. And, uh, you know, there's stress involved. Uh, sure. And it's, uh, you know, any artist, touring artist listening is quite familiar with it. It's not, you know, it's not just my thing, mm. what I have to go through. It's, it's, it's tough. Uh, there are expenses. And, uh, you know, you, before you go in and do a tour like that, you're, you're thousands of dollars in debt, but you're committed. So it's just not, you know, yay, get off the plane and let's rock and roll and, you know, swing and shuffle. It's all the, as a sort of a band leader... Uh, there's all these concerns, financial stresses and concerns. You know, the dates are coming in. You just don't snap your fingers and there's a tour. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's uh, uh, give or take a few grand. You know, uh, okay, I'm 10 grand in debt today. Um, yay, a few more dates come in. Now I'm only $7,000 in debt. Yay. But $7,000 in debt, but not necessarily today. That no, no. Hopefully I, I, in a month you will be. I, I'm, I'm speaking about tour costs, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. uh, airfare and paying my guys and and uh renting vehicles and backline and stuff that you're committed to doing you know that that's not i'm not trying to go on like a pathetic case but no 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 but i mean i think people should understand that when you when you go out and see a band that it's not that they just drove in and there's no expenses and they're making money and that's it like there's investment ahead of time and there's time and money that goes into a tour and especially when you go to europe you're putting in a lot of money ahead of time right yeah, well, you got to buy the tickets, for example. Yeah. And, and right there, p- that's a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. When you got three and four guys in the band, which it's been a trio uh, up until uh, last year. It's been a trio for me when I tour. I've done a few solo tours, but mostly they want to hear the band sound. Right. And uh, so, yeah, you buy the tickets up front, and uh, the agent is over there plugging away and, you know, doing... The, his or her best and make make it work make it happen and you know I knock on wood I can honestly say that uh, you know it's never been a, a, a bomb uh, I've, I've always come home with a few bucks in my pocket and things have gone good and, and then how, so like at this point in your career how do you expand your market I mean you obviously have parts of Canada you obviously have I don't know if you have any roads into the eastern states or whatever but i know that you have germany and i don't know if you have other countries within europe but how do you expand your market how does that happen how does it happen yeah well you come to uh fantastic fantastic conferences like the maple blues 
awards weekend. Um, there are uh, festival programmers and music business people from all over the country, and you showcase, and you make records, and and uh, the good folks who have uh, specialty blues stations, uh, um, certainly in, in my experience, if you're lucky enough to get some airplay, it helps to keep the so-called brand alive and your name out there. And, and uh, Like, do you have plans? Do you have... Do you have goals or do you have, is it like when we were coming upstairs, you were saying that you're thinking that it's more, it's about time to start thinking about doing another record. Yeah. So is it, do you, like, cause I've also had musicians talk about whether it's worth doing new records or whatever. Yeah. It's so scary with the, with, with digital, with the digital thing these days. So how do you view that? Like at this point, your model is get a new record, go to, on tour to support that record. Yeah, well, the, the model, uh, it, it, you know, I think about it when it comes time that I need to make another record. You know, I, when I say I need to make another record, certainly it's, uh, it's, it's a thrill to, to play music and record it. And the recording process I really enjoy. I have my own home studio because I've been kind of doing that for many years and I'm proud to say that I... I'm the engineer on most of uh, my last three albums and all that kind of stuff. But when you look at it from a business point of view, like why, like why am I doing this? And <laughs> so doing another record? Well, I, 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 I it's, it's a, it's an artist's product. You, you don't have a choice if you mm -hmm. want to remain in business. And and our, our product is to, to make records or to make recordings. And that recording will hopefully get you into festivals and other gigs. Well, and keep you fresh and and people know you're still out there, still making music, still moving forward. But I'm speaking mostly of the CDs versus streaming right. thing that's going on now. Uh, and I, and I kind of touched a little, did, did a little bit of research on my last album with that. And by and large, people want to see a, an album package of songs. You know, I, I'm sure everyone, every artist that wants to make new recordings has entertained the thought of, what about just one song and make mm -hmm. it available to, to, to download? And But in my experience... Uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm just too traditional, or uh, I, I don't know. But uh, uh, you know, the album package still makes sense. Mm -hmm. uh, CD sales aren't quite what they used to, but they're still very valid uh, and necessary for live shows. People still want to, you know, if they're excited about the show, or uh, they, they still you want to give them the opportunity to buy CDs. And you know, for me, when I'm on tour and going to Europe and any any live event. Merch sales are still very important. People right. still want to buy. Uh, kids, the younger people, I think. Uh, I, I don't know how those big labels. Uh, I really don't pay a whole lot of attention to the the pop labels. Uh, I'm not one to talk to. I'm not an expert in that at all. So the last album came out two, three years ago. Uh, yeah, in uh, uh, fifteen. Okay, two years ago. I, I believe 15, and uh, then uh, Pepper Cake, ZYX Pepper Cake picked it up and um, released it over there with a few bonus tracks. I had a whack of tunes left over, and uh, they chose three of them. And uh, so uh, we went over to sort of to promote the re-release uh, this year, this fall past, and uh, that's where I am right now. So do you see any difference in the audience 
playing to can Canadian audiences versus playing to European audiences? Uh, people ask me that all the time. Um, and it's not so much the audiences, in my experience, it's the events. Uh, a social event uh, is different from a concert event. A concert event, generally the audience is there to see the performance. Mm -hmm. And so they're focused on the performance. Right. And if they like your performance, they'll applaud and they'll perhaps buy CDs at the end of the show or during the break or, or something. A social event is people are there to have a good time and chat with each other, talk about their lives and blah, blah, blah. And the music is there. Perhaps they'll listen to some music, but they're really there to have fun amongst themselves. So there are those kinds of events, both those kinds of events in Canada uh, uh, and in, in, in Europe. But mm -hmm. mostly, thankfully, the shows that I do in Europe, people are coming to see the performance, which is great because it because of you... Uh, if you have a good show, um, they'll buy your product. You know, to be honest, right. and uh, it's it's fun to perform people for people that are focused on your performance, and, and it's inspiring. And but when you're doing it for a living, if you know what you're getting before you get there, then then it's it's fine. You know, if it's a social event, you know what your job is. That your job is to entertain people, and if they're there to also to mix with each other and have fun amongst each other, who, who am I to suggest that that's not the right thing to do, you know? I need to get paid. <laughs> <laughs> so in thinking that it's time to think about a new album, what's what's the process? Do you do you always write? Or are you thinking, okay, i got to get 12 songs going now? Or how does that work? I'm always picking at riffs and lyrics here and there. And uh, for me, I have riffs and chords and stuff stuffed away on my computer and my pro my recording program. Uh, and I've learned in recent years that two heads are better than one, and I really enjoy co-writing, uh, especially lyrically. Mm -hmm. For me, uh, uh, it's difficult to to express uh, words, poetic words. You know, I find it. Uh, uh, difficult to say you know everyone can say baby I love you I love you so and find a, something to rhyme with that and <laughs> kabing kabing but to really be meaningful uh, it's a challenge mm -hmm. for me <laughs> I guess I'm not so deep I, I don't know but uh, so I welcome uh, people who have fun with lyrics and uh, that's always uh, and certainly players too uh, so that's a little bit about my process and then, like, do you have an idea when you start thinking about an album, like how long it will take to do this? And always too long. That's one of the. Uh, in the old days, there was there was stress with the clock running in the studio, and you had, you know, days or whatever time allotted to get the job done, and you got it done, mm -hmm. and then you had a certain amount of time to to mix it, because you couldn't afford any more time so you got it done and it was done now with home studios uh you don't you don't have the stress of the clock on the wall and time ticking and dollar signs uh but it's pretty easy to uh to uh to pick away and try to come up with an idea and then look at the watch and go oh my wife will be home soon better go start supper or oh uh, Donald Trump said something else stupid again today. I got to go check that out. 
And so you'd walk away and, you know, you could, God, sometimes uh, you can stay there and work. Other times, uh, you know, you're there for a minute and it's over. That's it for the day. So if you're not, you know, careful, that can, I'm sure in film editing, you know, if you're not on a clock, mm-hmm. you know, you need to be inspired to get the job done or you find yourself wandering, your focus goes somewhere else that may be important that you need to get done and then you got to go back to it. And the, yeah. I don't know if I'm making any sense, but that, but that's been in my experience. So you really got to, focus with the home studio stuff and uh, so that's uh, one of the pitfalls that it can take forever and mixing when you're producing your own uh, product uh, I don't know what it's like doing a film edit for example but when you're mixing your own audio your own music uh, like I listen to stuff minimum a hundred times more than I should you know <laughs> pick away and, and move the fader you know no one's going to know the difference you know I just so you got to walk away from that too I find do you go through a, a self-loathing phase <laughs> self-loathing uh, in that creative process like I do oh you I mean, mean uh, that sucks like, yeah, that song really I suck <laughs> well I never I because I you end up listening to stuff so much your own voice and I just there's albums I've I just don't listen once it's done and it's released, and uh, I don't listen to it anymore. It's gone unless there are I choose a few tunes that are that are fun to play for an audience, and we play those. But the rest of it, I rarely hear it. I've just it's it's been done to death already, and it just came out, you know, from mixing and right. But five years later, could you listen to it, or is it still something you're done with? Uh, yeah, I, you know, I, it, it's not something that's going to give me a twitch or anything, but. Uh, you know, you're you're so always switch right now. It's not that. <laughs> yeah, you're always go. You know, I could have done it better this way, or could have did it better that way, or yeah. kind of thing. But that's uh, what it is. Uh, and if I were rich, I'd go back and remix stuff for the fun of it. At this stage in your career, how do you get better? Like, are, are there things that you you concentrate on that says I want to be able to play this better, or is it? Have you reached a point where that's not even an issue? It's about writing the next song and hoping to make that better. Like, do you ever think I, I need to get better as a slide player? Oh, of course. I hear musicians today are they're so inspiring and so impressive and, and so fan, so great. But uh, you know, you can. I suppose we could talk about that for hours, but. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I'd, certainly I like to improve, <clears throat> uh, but there's more. Of, I don't know if I'm answering your question properly, but there's more to the package than just, for example, playing the guitar. There's there's a song creating a, a song that's interesting and um, uh, you know sort of attractive musically, and so uh, you know that goes. And then there's the lyrics and and you know the chord structure and being able to play. What you play so for me it's it's not just trying to do your best at <clears throat> playing your instrument it's trying to do your best at writing a, a song and and uh, and the recording aspect too which i find very interesting does that come yeah, close yeah, to answering yeah. your question <laughs> because it's it's yeah I, I understand that it's not just one thing it's everything and you're constantly working on different things do you do a lot of production work for other people yeah i've done tracks for uh uh, guitar tracks, steel guitar tracks, pedal pedal steel guitar tracks, and here and there. Uh, but live music, making records and, and live music are still my 
sort of my main source of income, mm-hmm. live shows. And just keep doing that until until I can't. You anymore. still love it? Uh, do I still love it? Oh, absolutely. Uh, it, the business side is always, uh, uh, you know, you, you have to make a half-decent living. Not a decent living, a half-decent living. <laughs> and... and uh, and so you know, it's uh, blues people are no blues artists are no strangers to struggle, struggling to to make a decent living. You know, so mm-hmm. certainly I'm not unique in that, that respect. But I know, like a few years ago, I remember you played a gig in in Orangeville, I think, and I think you drove all the way across to play that gig. And I don't know if you had many other gigs to do. Yeah, well, that's you know, uh, living on the East Coast, if uh, if there is. Uh, an opportunity in Ontario, for example. Um, logistically, to, to make sense, it, you know, it's certainly helpful to get uh, supporting dates. And uh, you just don't snap your fingers and there are the supporting dates, right. especially uh, in this day and age when money is tight and budgets are tight and the bar scene is all but gone f- uh, as far as uh, as far as making a significant living you know thankfully festivals and host concerts are another thing so it, so it, it's really um uh, you know especially canada so huge and mm-hmm. you know the, if i got lucky and i i got interest uh for example a festival in bc well you certainly have to have your ducks in a row to be able to get there do mm-hmm. the show and get home uh put a couple of bucks in your pocket and just logistically make it happen you know and so, uh, you know, it's helpful to have an agent uh, to get to help you get supporting dates and that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, there there's been times in the past where uh, uh, festivals may uh, occur at the, you know sort of in line on on the calendar. If you're lucky, you connect to them. Other times, you make a commitment to an event, and uh, you know you have to honor that commitment. And that can be very difficult, and there's occasions through the years where where I've driven for 12 or 14 hours to do a show, and driven 12 or 14 hours to come home after that one show, you know. Mm-hmm. And those things happen. Well, I guess that's part of the business, right? Yeah, it's a part of the business. It's uh, everyone experiences that. And what's the part of the business that you still love? Well, certainly it's making music and performing for a live audience. Uh, writing songs and and uh, and uh, watching my kids learn about music and how old are they? I have a twenty-four-year-old and a twenty-year-old, and uh, the younger of the two is uh, going to univer- university. Thank God, uh, and not wanting to go out and get in a band like I did, fresh, you know, pretty much fresh out of high school. If uh, if, if they thought. I want to be a musician. What would you tell them? Uh, <laughs> oh God, you really put me on the spot now. Wait, it's like the only I'd one. Say, a follow your like... heart and take your brain. <laughs> Don't forget your brain. <laughs> uh, it's so tough. The, the recording business is, is so tough. Yeah. For like things have changed drastically. Yeah, they sure have. Like uh, the old days of a uh, label developing an artist with three records and then decide whether they should keep them. 
you, you don't get have those opportunities anymore and sales have so significantly dropped and the streaming has become such an important part of making money and oh god i don't know i don't know how the the bigger labels survive i just bulk numbers of streams for the major artists that get all the attention mm-hmm. which is kind of the way it, it's always been anyway that the big 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 sellers yeah get the big promotion i suppose and it's makes probably makes sense from a business level but if you're an also signed and you're not getting the attention and you know i'm sure it can be very frustrating how has that environment and the change in the music industry affected the way you do things Oh God! Well, in my experience, it, it helped me to to establish a market in Europe because I had to, if I hadn't got that offer from that label in ninety, beginning of ninety nine, end of ninety eight, I probably wouldn't have been lucky enough to get over there. Mm-hmm. But the kind of things happened for me in a very positive way. As much as I tend to put a negative spin, glass half empty kind of. I call no, it, no, yeah, I don't. I call it pragmatic. I like to call it pragmatic. <laughs> Uh, I was really lucky back then, and of course, it's it's up to yourself to keep the train rolling. You know, mm-hmm. once you get there, and I've managed to keep that happening. But you know, it's not a walk in the park. It's a, I'll, you know, it's a struggle to survive, and you just don't jump on a plane, and it's all a wonderful thing. Yeah, that's only my little story. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great story. I mean, I just think it's amazing that you. You do this touring in Europe and, you know, you, you're based out of Nova Scotia and I presume you do a lot of touring in the East Coast. But well, just the fact that you have this other market that's very, you know, obviously loyal to you that you've been doing it for many, many years. Yeah, and let me make it clear, it's one month out of the year. So as shocking as it may sound, I, I can't survive on a one-month <laughs> tour right. throughout the year. Right. You know, so... Uh, and yeah, uh, my own neck of the woods, there's events and festivals there, then um, I've been lucky enough to get work in the, in the Maritimes. Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, I haven't been to Western Canada in a number of years, actually. Uh, but to Quebec and Ontario, they've been good to me. I've played a few festivals. Uh, and I hope to go back for more. So if we look back, and I'm going to end off with this, but... In your journey through music, tell me about, uh, tell me, how, how would you describe the passion you still have for music, even though it's a tough business, the world has changed drastically, but you still do it. Tell me why and tell me the thinking behind that. Oh my God, Marco, I'm, I'm just <laughs> not deep enough for that. Uh, well, how can I be positive about this? I'm 61. That's, that's all I've done all my life. Uh, so it's the only thing that if I'm good at something, it's, it's that. So, Which you know, is pretty amazing. I mean, uh, you know, there's, there's success. But the fact that you, you decided that you wanted to be a musician and then at the age of 61 you're still doing it, I think is pretty incredible. Well, uh, I've been lucky to scrape out a living, yeah. I've got a wife who loves me and uh, allowed me to tour. Uh, I've never been home on a uh, away from home for uh, one time I went out six weeks uh, in the 90s but it's never been more than a month mm-hmm. uh, still it's a long time if you're if you're if you're home with the kids so I've been really lucky that I have a wife that loves me and is willing to do that and the support of kids it was a big dream of mine to have kids and I 
So I had that. I have that foundation. I think that's important, For sure. and the support. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not a party. You know, when I go out and I know I'm going away for a while, it's not let's not celebrate Dad going away. We all know what's going on here, and but I do have the support, and they've allowed me to do that, and uh, uh, so that that's that's really important. Uh, not knowing anything else, uh, that's that's a factor. Uh, but uh, you know, you, you you still have to have the passion to to make music, and I believe I still have that, or I'd, I'd be trying. But, come off as trying to fool people and mm-hmm. so you have to be sincere and uh, uh drummer neil and i neil robertson is the best drummer i've ever played with in my life so it's uh, on stage it's a joy to work with him and, to make and you've music. been with him for a while right probably about a dozen years now mm-hmm. yeah yeah neil is a, a master at the at the shuffle and he's very musical and he sings uh so uh, uh i'm lucky to have him on board um, and we get along great together, and uh, you know we kind of think on the same wavelength, and so that's important for sure. Uh, you know, when you at any job, if you know you got to be able to get along with the people you work with, regardless of what, whether it's music or or uh, you know in the office, uh, you know you got to have the chemistry. So I've been lucky there, and uh, yeah, it's a pretty simple formula for me. As long as the gigs still keep coming in, uh, I'll keep doing it as long as I can stay reasonably healthy. That's pretty much it. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I'm, I've always admired your playing, and you're one hell of a slide player. <laughs> well, thanks. It's been, it's been a treat knowing you, and uh, thank you for sharing this time with me. Thank you, Marco. I'm completely relaxed talking to you. God, <laughs> yeah, let, you're really good at drawing things other people I've really enjoyed it. Oh, good. <laughs> I hate it when people don't like that experience. <laughs> Thank you very no, much. No, it's fun. Mm-hmm.